Thank you for listening to Namat's Movie Reviews Podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. nightmares for weeks sweetie it wasn't a dream well sometimes it's hard to tell no i heard it mum you should definitely go to the cops what would i say like hello officer i know who the killer is we share a hedge what are you up to where's susan miller i don't know why you're here you should be next door who exactly do you think is in there Police. He hunts, he captures, he tortures, he kills. I don't know what to do anymore. I just want you to believe me. We have to go in. This is not a normal teenage dilemma. Seven people are dead. There's nothing here. What was that? Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Pekovich, and this is episode number 451. Releasing August 18 in Australian cinemas is Girl at the Window, a psychological thriller that tells the story of a teenage girl who is convinced her neighbour is a serial killer, a suspicion that is not shared by the police or her family who believe she has gone mad. Starring Ella Newton, Rada Mitchell and Vince Colosimo, Girl at a Window is a twist-filled thriller that deals with themes of obsession and doubt. And joining me now on the podcast is the director of Girl at the Window, Mark Hartley. Mark, I thank you so very much for your time today. Thank you. I only took your 451 episodes to chat to me. Yes, sir. Well, you know. <laughs> well, it is interesting that you say that because this is your first film that you had since the, the Patrick remake some several years back. And the script for this movie, Girl at the Window, it's um, written by, or originally written by Terence Hammond. He had kind of like the original story for it. So I'm curious. So when you get Terence's initial script, what was it about the script, the story that really spoke to you that this would be your next film? Sure. Um, I actually did make Electric Boogaloo. After oh, of course. Trip. Yes. Um, yeah, look, I mean, when you say it's, it, it's based on an original script by Terence, Terence was involved in the script all the way through. Um, so it's not like we just took the script from Terence and then you know, totally rewrote it or anything. Um, it started out as a, as a script that he'd written called Eyes. Um, and when I read it, I really liked it because both Tony Ganey and the producer and I were looking for a feature that we could make, uh, you know, from, from a modest budget and just basically go in there and shoot it and not have to spend years in development. 
And um, Terence's script, you know, all I said to him, I think, was I don't think we need so much backstory for the villain. Mm-hmm. I think people are very willing to accept that there are bad people out there who do bad things, and that's kind of good enough for a lot of people these days. And um, we just basically, as we kept on, as the budget, uh, you know, as the, the schedule, more importantly, kept on getting tighter and tighter and tighter, we just kept on refining it and bringing it down to, uh, you know, a, a smaller film in a way, but one that was a lot more based around the two houses side by side. In Terence's original script, there was scenes in a hospital, there was a an ambulance chase and all this kind of stuff, which um, we got rid of because we thought if we if we focus it down, it's going to be much you know, kind of more personal between the mother, the daughter, and the the, the killer. Nicola Nicolette Minster came in a little later to do uh, to help with the screenplay, and it's really interesting because her background is more kind of like in comedies. Um, with you know, she did the Kinney Show, and she was also an actress in that, and uh, she did some children's entertainment as well. So this is yeah. kind of a different kind of uh, uh, territory for her. How? Why did you bring uh, Nicolette in, and what was it like working with her on the script? Well, Nicolette didn't touch any of the thriller elements. We brought in Nicolette because uh, Terence and myself, uh, you know, are hardly the voice of a younger generation. Right. And we needed someone to come in and really just work the, the kids' dialogue, the teens' dialogue, so that it felt real. And also work on the, the, the mother-daughter dialogue, so that felt, uh, you know, a lot more genuine as well. So that's what Nicolette did. She came in and really lent her voice and her humour to making those, those kids' uh, personality shine in the script. I heard in an interview that your aim for this movie was kind of like to make an, an Amblin movie if Toby Hooper directed it, uh, which is a great quote. Um, is that something that really was kind of like a direction that you had in those initial stages of looking over Terence's script? You were like, this is a kind of like the goal that I had for this movie? Or is that something that kind of develops as you kind of go along and develop the project? I think, it, I mean, that sensibility sensibility. I kind of voiced when it came to how we were actually going to shoot the film, what the soundtrack was going to be like, the aesthetic of the film. And so, yeah, so I said to both Jamie, uh, the composer, and Gary, my cinematographer, you know, let's let's think of it as a throwback Amblin movie that's sort of a bit freewheeling, a bit fun, but then kind of turns and veers into, into dangerous territory every now and then. And I think Jamie's score certainly does that. It's kind of very rollicking and and fun and then it can turn quite dark when it needs to. But yeah, I mean, we, we always we always thought of the film as like a, a throwback. And um, I remember saying to Tony early on, I mean, I said, I said, look, this could easily, we could easily make this and it could resemble a lifetime movie, but let's not do that. Let's give it some elements that really do sort of make it something a little bit more. And I said, I remember when I was a kid going and seeing things like The Howling and American Wealth in London, and they just had slightly edgy, content um that i thought wow i can't believe as a kid i'm looking at this mm. and i wanted there to be a few little elements like that in in girl at the window and there there is to some degree there's a bit of nudity which no one really expects and there's a, a couple of sort of um horrific shots which no one expects amongst kind of the the mystery and the fun ella newton is a, the she, she's the lead in the movie and her role is really interesting in that it's a portrayal that really really needs physical element to it she kind of like gets down and gritty um in the film but also there's like a strong kind of emotional element to it too um it's a, a big we a big ask to try to find anyone to to fill both aspects of, of that role what was it about ella um that when you found her you knew that she would be kind of like your version of a nancy drew in, in this movie 
Well, that's exactly right. I mean, I did I did want it to echo Nancy Drew. Um, I look look, she sent a tape in, and I just thought that she was great. Um, and then I watched a couple of Sea Change episodes, the, the the reboot of Sea Change that she'd been in playing um Siggy's daughter, and um and met with her, and she was just fantastic. Sorry, uh, she was just fantastic, and um. And it, when when we got Karis and her together to do a, an a, an audition for Karis too, they just clicked, mm. and um, I knew I'd found my couple. And um, no, they were, they were both great. And Ella, particularly, was just someone who, you know, is really fun and um, and not overly serious about the craft all the time. But as soon as you know you're ready to do a take, she locks into it, and she just delivers. It's amazing, you know. She. She has a, a fantastic sequence where she just sort of, you know, she cries when she's talking about her father and she's very, she was gung-ho in terms of working with stunties and doing as much of the work as possible. And, um, yeah, it was great. She was just, it was her first feature film and both her and uh, and Karis were so excited, uh, you know, that it just, um, it, it, it made everyone feel a lot more alive on the, on the film. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by Tee Public. Tee Public is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise. With over 1.2 million designs, Tee Public is sure to have something you love. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Amazon. The world's leading online store, Amazon is your first stop to buy a wide range of products at competitive prices with fast delivery times. Amazon is also a world-class entertainment hub that includes Prime Video, Audible, Twitch, Amazon Music, and more. Sign up with Amazon today and experience the best in online shopping and entertainment. It's interesting that I read a quote um, from Ella where she says that to her, the role is almost kind of almost political in nature and that here is a character who as a woman, as a young woman, says that, you know, something's happening in her life and no one believes her and that kind of feeds into a lot of the kind of social things that were especially happening around the time you were filming this movie, which I think was back in 2019, 2020, I think you were filming this, maybe? No, no, we were only, we were only filming it last um, last November. Last November, there we go. Yeah. Um, did you find that element as well in regards to that character, there was kind of like a political nature to it that she kind of like connected with? Well, look, I think when we when we pitched the film, it was that it was going to be something that was a little bit deeper than your typical, you know, girl who cried wolf thriller. Mm. In the fact that in the zeitgeist at the time, there was that notion that there are a lot of women not being heard and not being believed. And, you know, I know Nicolette also really liked that element of it. And um, obviously, you know, you know, put a bit of her uh, female instinct behind behind that narrative. And, yeah, Alice right. I mean, we, we didn't sort of talk about it as being, uh, you know, a, a large part of the film, but it's certainly, you know, a large part of her character. Another theme in the movie is that of obsession. And, you know, from Vertigo all the way to Zodiac, you know, cinema has been filled with kind of obsessive characters. And I think I think the reason why audiences like these characters is because they're willing to kind of walk down the dark paths that we don't want to go down. Um, I don't know about you, Mark, but if I heard a scream coming from my next door neighbour, there's no bloody way I'm checking out that person's shit. Uh, so to have, like, someone in the movie do it, it's kind of like an interesting conduit to kind of go into darker territory. Do you think that's a that's a reason why the um, characters like that are so popular with audiences? Because they're willing to go down those dark paths and normal people wouldn't go? 
Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's interesting uh, with with sort of your, your voyeuristic films, everything from Rear Window to Disturbia to Body Double, most of the time they're all male protagonists too, and we sort of had a female mm. protagonist, which is kind of interesting. But, yeah. look, I think things are different in the country as well. I kind of grew up sort of semi-rural, and when I was a kid we had no trouble leaving our door unlocked or just going, you know, knocking on the neighbour's door and checking things out. So maybe it's got something to do with a more of a country sensibility as well. Yeah, and her character from uh, what I remember in the film, she's a city city mouse, right, and moved into the country. Is that correct? No, they were, they kind of lived on the other side of the city, on the other side of the country town, because she still goes to the same school. All right, they just moved moved house. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about the look of the movie. I mean, you mentioned before that you worked with Gary Richards, and you and Gary have worked on, on with the majority of the projects before. When it came to the look of what you want to do with this film, I, I find the, the the movie to look just fantastic in, in the visual element of it. Um, how much discussion do you have with Gary in regards in regards to that? Or by the time that you hit you know, girl, uh, um, girl at the window. Is it a thing where you both kind of like have almost kind of like an organic sense? You know exactly what you want from one another um, before filming a, a movie. Well, on set, we certainly we certainly have a shorthand, and we don't need to talk that much, and we know exactly what we need to do because we need to be prepared because we know how many setups we have to do a day, and it is insane the amount of setups we have to do a day. On this is only a nineteen day shoot. Um, but look, yeah, I, I probably work collaborate with Gary a lot closer than most director DOPs. We've known, we've worked with each other for almost thirty years, and um, we get together, you know, for as long as we can before in pre production. On Patrick, we had a lot of time because um, we had to wait for Charles Dance to finish um, his block on Game of Thrones. We had a window where he was available. On this film, we didn't have a lot of time. It was basically okay. We shoot in six weeks, so. Mm. We got together as, as many days as we could and we just shot listed from first frame to last frame. And our shot lists are really, really um, detailed. They're more like edit lists in a way where we pre-plan everything. And, of course, we know we can't achieve everything, but if we know what we, we want to get and we know that amongst those 10 shots in that scene, there's one that is a shot that really shows that you know, we, we care about this project and we're kicking a little bit above our weight then, you know, it's good to know that stuff going onto the set. In terms of aesthetic, on Patrick, we watched lots and lots of films. Um, on this one, we didn't have the time. And I think we kind of, by now, we kind of had our own aesthetic going. So we just knew what we, how we wanted to, to, um, to cover stuff and to stage scenes. And it was amazing sitting there and just offering suggestions because most of the time we'd have the same idea in mind when we were doing it. And obviously we are, we are paying homage to some of our favourite directors it's interesting with both this and Patrick, we're not so much paying homage to Hitchcock, but we're paying homage to his acolytes. Mm. So people like Brian De Palma and Dario Argento and Richard Franklin. And certainly, um, you know, we love diopter shots and split screens and things like that. So we went back and and did look at uh, a lot of Robert Weiss films for, for the best use of diopters and so forth. Well, have you had a chance yet to watch this with an audience? Has there been any type of screenings where you can see where a, a audience reaction to the different uh, elements? Not a real audience. Not a real audience. No, the only the only screening we had was a cast and crew screening, and it's funny we survived the whole of the shoot without having one um, cast or crew member get COVID. And if they mm. had, if we would have been totally shut down, and the film right. wouldn't have happened. But when it came to the cast and crew screening. The audience was decimated by COVID. None of the producers were there. Half the cast weren't there. It seemed like everyone had COVID at that point later on. 
So no, I've only seen it with a with a limited cast and crew who knew the film intimately anyway. Well, I gotta say, I, I really enjoyed watching Girl at the Window. And I think the big reason why I enjoy watching it is because having watched, you know, a lot of films both here in Australia and in the in the States as well, sometimes I find missing in Australian cinemas is just that genre aspect to the filmmaking. And I really appreciate what you've done here with this movie and for everyone listening, Girl at the Window in cinemas. August 18, all across Australia. I do recommend people see it on the big screen because it's a gorgeous film to look at. It's a, it's a, and I think as well, uh, Mark, this is a movie that you need to watch with an audience because it's the type of film where you need to feed off everyone else's energy, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting genre film, I think, in a way, because it seems, I've said this a couple of times now, but it, it seems to me now that there's, there's only either really extreme genre films or really arty genre films, mm. and there's no real middle ground anymore yeah and we set out to make a film that very firmly sits in that middle ground in a way it's it's a genre film for people who don't necessarily embrace genre films yeah because it's kind of it starts off as a fun mystery movie well it's what they call a popcorn thriller in a lot of ways isn't it i think so anyway yeah hopefully look i just hope audiences you know uh you know react to the the um the the twists and turns I did, that's for sure. I mean, there's some of these things I didn't see coming whatsoever. And so everyone out there listening, please do check out Girl at the Window, August 18, Australian cinema. Um, support Australian films. Watch this on the biggest screen as possible, like I said, because it's gorgeous to look at. I picked the job that you and Gary did. It was just really phenomenal and um, just great job all around. And, uh, Mark, I thank you so very much for your time today. Hopefully we get to talk again for another 451 episodes go by. <laughs> sure, Okay. We'll, we'll slot in 562 right now. Yes, sir. <laughs>